1800 WLW. Welcome on in. It's the Craftsman Electric Saturday afternoon extravaganza. Craftsman Electric, quality craftsmanship. It is in their name. Well, what a week. What a week. What a week. Uh, it has been a rocking and rolling week legally in this country and politically as well. And there were two major decisions by the Supreme Court that some people think will really gin up the base for the Democrats and uh, make them into election issues come midterms this November. One, of course, was the uh, was the uh, uh, decision that was handed down on Thursday regarding a concealed carry case that was in front of the court and uh, overwhelmingly and along party li- along um, uh, philosophical lines it was shot down six to three and um, uh, the concealed carry law that's in New York right now is changing it will have a rippling effect through other states as well and then of course on Friday the court in a six three decision overturned a decision from back in 1973 Roe v Wade which uh, a lot of people thought it was failed law even back in 1973. But nevertheless, it has been overturned and then sending the right to an abortion back to states and state legislatures, where a lot of people think it should have been in the first place. But politically, what does this mean for the Democrats and the Republicans as they head into the midterms and then again in 2024? Will these, these be issues for both parties? And if so, how big of an issue? Standing by to weigh in on all of this is somebody that knows politics inside out. He has held elected office five times. He has written about that, sir, that that journey and also how you can really be an effective politician if you just look to win over people. The Winsome Candidate, The Winsome Way are his books, and he's our good buddy, Dan Snell. Dan, how are you on this glorious Saturday? Hello, Dan. Don't hear Dan. Daddy, listeners, you know, I wonder if they really recognize what they have in you, Ken Brew. They have a combination <laughs> of Larry, Larry King, Jerry Seinfeld, Howard Cosell, and Rush Limbaugh, all wrapped into one. And you can throw in a little Muhammad Ali there, float yeah. like a butterfly, sing yeah. like a bee. I thought you were going to say Larry, Moe, and Curly there for a moment. I wasn't exactly where, sure where you were going with that. But thank you. That's uh, that's that's high praise. I want to I want to extract the law out of. I'm sorry. The uh, the yeah the law out of this just for a second, and I want to talk politics. Um, Roe v. Wade is uh, obviously something, Dan, that has been a lightning rod issue. It's come up every single time. There's been a Supreme Court justice up for consideration in front of uh, the U.S. Senate. Um, the, the court now is decidedly conservative. Uh, I'm looking at polling that took place before this decision was handed down on Friday, and it was overwhelming. It was done by USA Today and a Suffolk University poll that said that uh, prior, this is prior to the decision, even those Americans who oppose striking down the landmark decision recognizing abortion rights say by a two-to-one margin that the economy will be more important to their vote in November. And 7 in 10 say the high court's action will have no effect on whether they choose to cast a ballot. So my question is, all these years later, 30 years later, was James Carville right? It's the economy, stupid. Is that what this is all about? Yeah, it just seems like every week there is a new issue that somewhat divides the country. And this Roe v. Wade decision 
you know, was one that you see people on the streets on, on both sides, whatever their personal um, belief is. And you know, the, the question, the big question is, if you are of the thought that you uh, a person wants to get an abortion, there are still 38 states in America that allow uh, a, abortion. And so th- this has just become another, you know, fire starter that stirs people up. And I do think that it is going to have a, a very minor effect, although you'll have candidates running on it. And I always hate to see, though, anytime there's a single issue candidate, I always look at candidates should look at, okay, he, here are my, here's my five-point plan. Here's the five things I stand for that are solutions to the problems facing the country, not let's talk about this, this issue that everybody wants to jump up and down and scream about. Right. And so I think that the Democrats may gain from this because it may stir up people who are of the liberal mindset uh, to to get out and vote. My, my, you know, I my 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 position on this is is if you line up 100 people on Fountain Square, which is the central part of downtown Cincinnati, and you ask 100 people who is your state senator, who is your state representative, I think 95 percent of the people asked wouldn't be able to tell you who they are. These people now become the most important politicians on this issue in every state across America. I think, you know, here we think we're the state of Cincinnati. We're not necessarily part of Ohio. In fact, when I worked in local television, state news never made it on the air. But now we have state representatives and state senators who are going to have to decide these things. And I think that's a good thing, rather than have nine people in robes who have a job for life deciding one way or the other how an issue should stand. They they did a great service to democracy, I think, on Friday, because if you feel fervently about this, one way or the other, you're going to go out and campaign for the people who are going to represent you, for example, in Kentucky and Frankfurt, in Ohio and Columbus. I think democracy won on Friday. Excellent point. Excellent point, Ken. And it is true that if people would pay more attention to who is their local school board member, who's their city councilman, who's their mayor. A lot of people don't even know who those people are, let alone who their state uh, representative is in their capital, wherever that might be. And it is true, you know, Tip O'Neill wrote a great book, uh, All Politics is Local. And while it was a book that talks about campaigning, he really does uh, talk about some of the key things as, as a country, if we're really to engage and make the place we call home. And I always like to emphasize that is let's talk about the place we call home which it could be your city your county your state your school district uh, whatever it might be how are we going to make it better and then let those people who are elected maybe one day rise up and run for elected office at a higher level with having experience true experience in one thing that people forget and that's try to how to work through things with compromise you know Compromise is not a four-letter word. Compromise has ten letters in it, mm-hmm. kind of a perfect ten when it comes to leadership, I think. If you can find a way, and you're not always going to win everything that you want 100%, but if you can get 85% of your issue and somehow maybe meet in the middle, that's what's going to make America back to where we once were and really uh, that place we call home shines brighter. What of the uh, Supreme Court decision Thursday that now, in essence, says that all of us, you, me, have a right to carry firearms in public for self-defense, and it's probably going to lead to more people being legally armed. 
And then uh, the bill that the president signed today, uh, which in essence was a compromise bill between Republicans and Democrats, doesn't seem to do very much for those who want guns curtailed and outlawed in this country, uh, doesn't seem to do very much against those who are against this bill. Uh, you know, assault, well, AR-15, still very much available. Um, there's nothing that would lead anyone to believe that there is going to be a red law, a red flag law, in effect, nationally. That now reverts back to the states with some bribe money along the way from this bill to uh, to states that maybe need a little push to get to red flag laws. I, I Again, the Second Amendment was kind of like to the Republicans what the Roe v. Wade was to the Democrats. Um, I think the gun rights people really were emboldened this week by the ruling from the Supreme Court and this bill that got passed that really doesn't curtail that much of anything for them. Um, I'm just wondering, do, do, do guns have, the gun rights have the same effect for the right that Roe v. Wade had for the left, in your opinion? Are they canceling out each other, or is one more potent than the other politically? Good question. I think when our founding fathers created that amendment, the right to, to bear weapons, own, own guns, I don't think they could imagine that we would have people uh, who weren't of a united mindset in the land that would be able to buy AR-15s or guns like we have today. I think there was the purpose of that amendment uh, was more measured in its in its thinking, and I, I think that's the whole issue, whether it's the abortion or whether it's gun rights or whatever issue is before us, is that people want to immediately go one direction or another and not listen and say, okay, let me try to look at this from a 360 degrees and really understand all the things. One of the things that Ronald Reagan, you know, is a hero of mine, mm -hmm. and even John F. Kennedy did also, is bring together commissions where they would really be from across the country, people from all sides, all political persuasions, uh, people that have understanding and knowledge in an area and really try to find the S of winsome and be a solutioneer to really find the solutions. And I think that these issues stir people up. And, and part of the challenge is, here's one, here's a plug for radio. I wish that we would maybe just go back to the days of radio where people get their information because I think you're more measured about what you let people say on the air. But now today with social media, everybody can stir other people up, whether it's factual or not. And then we have the uh, extreme measures that are taking place and people just rally around uh, an incident and then, it, and then it goes away. And But the problem is the damage that's been left behind doesn't serve the country and just damages democracy even more. Sure, people go to the opinion that they have. In other words, they'll go to wherever they get affirmation, not necessarily information. I, I mean, I, and it is, I think a lot of it's drawn back to social media. Dan Snell, our guest, the winsome candidate, the winsome way, the guy who's held public office. All right, I wanted to also get to what's going on with the two standard bearers of each party. Joe Biden is, is, I mean, he's slipping badly. He hasn't had many wins, if any wins, in his presidency. Donald Trump can't let go of the past. He's stuck in 2020, and I think it's hurting this guy politically, more so than anything the January 6th committee is going to come up with. I think we have two flawed uh, candidates here that are the standard bearers for their parties. I think Biden is showing every bit his age, and maybe more so, and Trump 
needs to go forward and look forward. This country wants to look forward. It doesn't want to look backward. Uh, I would be shocked if Biden runs in 2024. Um, there's even a, a theory that he may not make it to 2024. He might just decide for health reasons and because of lack of party support, he might just hand the keys over to Kamala Harris for the rest of his regime. Trump, on the other hand, who knows how much he's damaged by January 6th? I don't think much, but he can't get out. He, he's stuck in the mud. You might not have either of these people running in 2024. I think that's a real scenario. What about you? Absolutely. I think we maybe talked about this uh, as, as you always deliver the breaking news and the fresh thoughts up front. But we talked about it in my belief that I don't believe that uh, President Biden will be the candidate for that matter, even Vice President Harris. So I think on the Democrat side, we're going to have a, a fresh start. And also, as you mentioned about President Trump, you know, if I were President Trump, now would be a time to pivot because of uh, the Roe v. Wade, he could say to conservatives to gain their favor is, hey, the the people that I put on the Supreme Court made a difference. That's part of my legacy. And if he would pivot and change his demeanor, and as you said, the, the messaging, he might have a chance. But as it is right now, I do not believe that America will, will support uh, Donald Trump. We talked about this even during the campaign is that with his rhetoric and his style, he lost one percent to two percent a month of of supporters and that's if you look at the results joe biden won because he was talking about unity and uh how do we get better results and and things of that nature he won but then joe biden here you're right he has lost his core principles i think inside he's a man of reasonable character and you know he has faith but his Core principles have all been handed off to someone, and they're put in a drawer. And he's right now, I hate to say it, and I hate to see it, because I think he could be better than this, but he's cowering, and he's giving the paybacks to those people that helped him get into office. And the biggest thing is his advisors. I'll tell you what, you know, a president a president that has good advisors, people that are smarter than he in issues of the economy, of the culture, they hear much about him, and he needs to be protecting the president and uh, surrounding him with with people that are giving him ideas that are going to put forth good answers. You know, yeah. this issue with the oil, he talked about meeting with the oil companies. What's happened? Nothing. You really need to be willing to do things to get the solutions handed to the American people, yeah. I, I think he's. I think he he's irreparably damaged. I I, I I think it. I think he would. If you know, everybody can look at a poll right now and say, "Well, if he runs against him, if he runs against it, this is going to happen." Nobody really gets excited about those things until you get deep into an election cycle, which would be summer, early fall of 2024. And but I, I think he's been irreparably damaged. I, I see no future for him. Um, past yeah. this 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 term, and, and 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 as I said, it may not make it through this term. We'll see. Dan, we got to run. You got to run. You got a basketball game. You got to officiate today, and we got uh, we got to press on. Thanks. Good to hear your voice, and stay well. Okay. Okay. All right. Thank you, Ken. God bless you. All right. Bye bye. There he is. That guy knows politics inside out. Uh, Trump's going nowhere unless he puts twenty twenty behind him, and Biden is. He's a lost ball. He's it's it's over. Uh, Nobody's told him yet, but it's over to 1224 News Radio 700 WLW. Hey, hey.
It's baseball in the city by the bay. Put some pain on them. Our red lights are in San Francisco to take on the Giants. And it is gone. If time permits, maybe they'll be able to visit Alcatraz. My grandfather did for 17 years. Are you making that up? Get the West Coast Call Live tonight at 6.15 on 700 WLW and 700 WLW's live stream on the iHeartRadio app. Hey, hey. If you call Hoding Realtors right now, they will give you a free market analysis of your phone or your home. All you have to do is pick up the phone and dial this number, 513-451-4800, 513-451-4800. They will tell you immediately what your house is worth. And if it's time to move, they've got some great listings this week. Lori Whistle of the Hoding Whistle team has just listed a beautiful Cape Cod and Cheviot with beautiful natural wood finishes and a fully equipped kitchen with lots of cabinets. It's a great starter home. It's going to go fast. Call Hoding, 513-451-4800 or on the internet, Hoding with an E.com. When it comes to your electric, you don't need good enough. You need Craftsman Electric. Our main focus is providing quality professional work. So we continue to talk about the fallout after yesterday's Supreme Court decision overturning Roe v. Wade, after 49 years of that being law, now there's new law that empowers the states. And there are some who are saying, particularly on the right, those who have been fighting this for almost 50 years, that it should be a state's decision that there should be no uh, federal law mandating abortion on demand. In fact, there's, there's plenty of evidence that even the man that issued the majority opinion all those years ago in 1973, Justice Harry Blackman, had his doubts. But is this now a new day, and will it go back to being the old way at some way, shape, or form? Standing by to... Weighing on that is uh, an attorney who I'm reading right here, an undefeated trial attorney with more than 120 state and federal cases successfully litigated. She is Sandra Spurgeon. Sandra, welcome to the show. How are you on this glorious Saturday? Hi, Cincinnati. I'm doing well. You're uh, undefeated. That makes you the Joe Lewis of attorneys, right? You're, you're, you're not going <laughs> to retire anytime soon, and you're still undefeated. I don't know how that happened, but congratulations on that. Thank you. Let me give a shout out to Chase College of Law, which was my law is my alma mater. Oh, you were went to Chase. Oh, it's a terrific law school. Many, many great uh, yeah. lawyers came out of there. Both of my kids were attorneys. They did not go to Chase, but uh, many of their friends did. Uh, broad, broad stroke question here, uh, Sandra. In 1973, was Roe v. Wade flawed law? Did the did the seven Supreme Court justices just make up a law? out of whole cloth, because we're hearing that a lot in the recent days here, particularly from those who are pro-life. Was it flawed law? Well, I don't know that it, you could say that it was flawed law. I think that first we look at the Constitution and the right uh, to an abortion or to terminate, voluntarily terminate a pregnancy. It's not expressly spelled out in the Constitution. So then what the uh, court had to do was to then look at um, case precedent to see if it fell within the 14th Amendment uh, reference to the right of liberty or the exercise of liberty. And the question was, is it rooted in the nation's history uh, and tradition where it's a con an essential component of liberty? And in the 73 decision, they made that determination, yes. But I think that 
uh, to answer the question, there is some sec- subjectivity in how that for- and how the Fourteenth Amendment is interpreted, depending on the case law in which you review and rely upon. Well, it's interesting because there were two dissenting opinions in in that case: William Rehnquist and uh, Justice uh, Byron White. Justice White. I mean, the first the first line in, in his dissension is, I find nothing in the language or history of the Constitution to support the court's judgment. And that, in essence, became the basis for the argument now here in 2021. So White obviously was someone that saw this the same way these six conservative justices saw that uh, in, in this in this decision. I'm, I'm just I'm just wondering, did this get overturned solely because of the six conservative justices, or and, and obviously it did in the final vote, six to three, but it, it seemed to me, and this is why I asked why it was flawed law, is that it was almost begging for somebody to challenge this the way Mississippi did. did you know what I'm saying? It was almost, it was out there. It seemed like, to me at times, low-hanging fruit. And that's why I said, was it flawed law? It was begging for this, it seems like, to me. Well, it's very unusual for a court with, um, through the use of stare decisis when one court has of the same equivalent power as the U.S. Supreme Court to go in and then review and overturn um, another U.S., you know, to overturn um, the same court's opinion, even though it's made up of different individuals. And I think that what I think that I think what surprised a lot of us with the opinion is that the sole challenge in Dobbs is whether a woman had a right to an abortion after 15 weeks, because that gets into the subjectivity determination of when a fetus becomes viable and when it's considered a human being. Um, And the Supreme Court went way right of that and said, wait a minute, we don't, not only do we not have a right to make that decision, we don't have a right, we don't have governance to cover this issue at all or to address this issue at all. And I think what happened, what happened and the concern that a lot of us, when you take the I'm not saying is it right or is it wrong. I'm not here to make that statement, but from a legal analyst position in the state of Ohio this morning, as I understand the law, it is not illegal for a woman to seek an abortion. In Kentucky, if you step your foot into Newport this morning, it is illegal for a woman to seek an abortion unless the mother's health is an immediate uh, danger of death. Uh, or serious bodily injury. So the the I think that the real issue is is that for me at least is that is this an equal protection issue? Should all women, regardless of their jurisdiction and their state of domicile, um, have the same rights? And I think we would all agree with that to be yes. And so to make a variance to say state law from state to state. Um, I think is there is a legal argument to be made that the Equal Protection Clause should protect women um, so that they all have the same rights. Um, And there's also the medical provider issue, you know, um, from physicians um, in, in, in the healthcare industry 
it's going to be very, very difficult for them in terms of making those decisions, um, you know, because most hospitals employ physicians. Physicians, it is rare now that physicians are employed individually there are most of them are employees of the hospital so now you're going to have the medical professioning profession dictating when a woman's health is at uh, or life is at risk as right. to whether that woman is entitled to have that pregnancy terminated or not well then you get into um you're you're right uh you could you could have legal jeopardy uh as you just described it if if um, if a woman chooses to seek that kind of medical help outside of her domicile where it it may not be legal but you've got companies now um i think uh dick sporting goods was the latest yesterday where they're paying medical bills up to uh four thousand dollars for someone who wants to travel to a state where abortion is legal if indeed that employee of dick's works for dick's in a state where it is illegal to have an abortion i mean there where is the where is the corporate jeopardy in that for them i would think well, there, there would there, have to be some well and you know that it, it's a that's a bold position to take um you know they with uh in the state of texas where i'm sitting this morning um you know governor abbott and uh the governor of florida would I may aggressively take action towards those companies if they indeed carry through with that promise. And so, you know, it becomes, there's so many questions. What about IVF? You know, what about the frozen embryos? What, you know, what happens, um, you know, with insurance coverage? You know, if you have an insurance policy, but you go to a different state, you know, there's, you know, there's so many questions, you know, an insurance company is going to take the position that they're going to deny coverage for that procedure, even if it's not illegal for that female to cross into another state to get it done. There's going to be policy revisions coming out with every health insurance policy um, because, you know, they're in the business to make money. And this gives them an opportunity to legally deny a coverage. Yeah. And they're going to take advantage of it. Yeah, no, oh no, I'm, yeah, I mean, it's the American way. Sure, they're going to take it, uh, advantage of it. So we've got these states with trigger laws, which is another thing I think people are, are wondering about. The laws that were, in essence, um, in incubation, waiting to see exactly what the Supreme Court was going to rule on that. And we, you know, where you are, Texas has it, where you're from, Kentucky has it. Uh, Mike DeWine, the, the governor of Ohio, um, had a, a, a law in incubation, the heartbeat law. Fifteen, The minute a, a heartbeat is detected, the baby cannot be aborted. There is stronger, stronger uh, laws that are under consideration that would completely ban abortion here in the state of Ohio. Um, these, these states would trigger laws. Um, They've been lying in the weeds waiting uh, for this. 13, I think, is the number right now, possibly 14. We'll see how the rest of the day goes. Indiana is going to convene uh, a special session of their state legislature next week. Um, what, would your, what would your gut be about all of this? We talked about the legal jeopardy of someone leaving one state, going to another state, companies footing the bill for somebody that wants to go out of that state 
I mean, let's handicap this, which I think is is what you probably do on a daily basis when you get involved with a case. Handicap this for us. When this is all said and done, and all of this shakes out, and it becomes a, in essence, a quote-unquote state's rights, what happens? What what? How does this practically? How is this practically applied in your in your opinion? Well, let me back up just one second. I I'm watching Dr. Biden the president's uh, spouse, and I'm watching President Biden, and I'm watching Congress, members of Congress out in the street marching, all right? Um, so the question becomes, do, do they have enough votes, two-thirds of the Congress, to be able to, for Congress to act to make an amendment, right? And just by looking at the, you know, like you said, right, as I'm sitting here now looking at CBS's chart, there's 13 states that have trigger laws in place. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we are already uh, approaching state, you know, we're already approaching uh, congressional districts where, um, you know, and there's 31, interesting, 31 states that are certain are likely to ban or restrict abortions. That's the exact number of states that made it a crime uh, for a woman to get an abortion just before Roe v. Wade. It was 31 states, and now we're seeing 31 states likely to come back and to say, you know, that um, that are likely to ban or restrict abortion. So it is it is going to be interesting over the next week, two weeks, month to see what they're able to lobby to do, to see if they can get Congress to act. Mm. But, you know, all of this is going to take time. And in the interim, we're going to have various laws, various inconsistent laws being enacted throughout the country. And in reality, that may become the legal precedent for another case to say, look, I am a woman living in the state of Kentucky. My rights are not being equally protected as mm -hmm. a woman in the state of Oregon. So that may be the legal basis. Yeah. But, it, you know, if it's left to the states and it goes back up, we're looking at years to getting yeah. this issue back before the Supreme Court. Sure. And I, I don't think you're going, I mean, it, 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 it's a nice thought, but I don't think you're going to get two-thirds of both the House and the Senate to uh to write an amendment to anything in this political environment you would in essence need what you would need 17 republican senators to cross over and get to you at to that two-thirds in the, in the senate and you and i both know the political climate in this country there's no way in hell that's going to happen well i think from an you know i can't even speak to my family about this issue friends and family uh of mine over you know when they were hearing me, seeing me on the, uh, you know, seeing me live yesterday and then hearing me on the air. I've been flooded with phone calls, people wanting to express their opinions and not understanding that when, when I'm looking at this, I'm solely looking at the law. I'm not making a moral opinion or this is not a political opinion. I, I'm, I'm really saddened in reality that this has taken on such a political divisive um, role, if you will, um, between Democrats and Republicans, because it is so it's such an it's such an, a very important, critical issue to be decided 
by the letter of the law versus having folks you know making it a political campaign issue Mm -hmm. and I, i mean i understand how reality works but for someone who has loved the law and has practiced 30 years you know i don't win every argument that I go into court, you know, I may lose the battle, but my goal or my eye is towards the war. And, you know, and when I'm overruled by a judge, I, I thank them. And when they sustain me, I thank them, but it's never, it has never been, I've never seen a court of disrespect, um, that as to what you're seeing, the disrespect being, leveled or heaved upon the members of the Supreme Court. Um, For us as practicing attorneys, we've always, that's the, you know, that that's the pinnacle, right? We all hope to at least one time during our lifetime have the opportunity to practice in front of the Supreme Court. We, you know, you, you, U.S. Court of Appeals, you know, some of the judges that are sitting in the Sixth Circuit, um, Judge Sipar, um, who I've practiced in front of, is one of the great legal minds that we will have seen during our generation. And it's very unfortunate that, um, you know, why Justice Thomas came out and went further yesterday, I'm not sure. I really don't think their opinion is their opinion. We may not agree with it. We may disagree with it. But, you know, we've got uh, members of Congress. We've got the president. They're saying protest, protest, protest. And I, you know, so it'll be interesting to see what the end result will be. But I think the fallout and I think a end result is going to take many years. The issue with having it in the states is that now that it's a political issue, are they going to change the law every four years? Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, if the if the if the Republicans if the Republicans gain control of our legislature in Kentucky, you know, is that going to change? Is the, if the Democrats get control, is that are they going to yeah. change the law? I mean, every four years it could change, and, and that it's really you know it's a it's a human life issue. And um, and both from the fetus, from the issue of viability, from the woman's right to do with what she wants with her own body, it's such a critical issue. I had someone ask me yesterday, well, what about getting a tattoo? And I said, do not trivialize yeah. where we are right now. Yeah. No, you know, it's... it's um... You make a great point because just because something then becomes law when the tastes of the local electorate change and maybe next election cycle, it's it's a Democrats have control of the House and the Senate, for example, here in Ohio. Okay, you're going to change the law again. Okay, I mean, they're just wild pivots that this could uh, that this could lead to. But it's fascinating. It really is. And it's a fascinating thing to live through and watch play out. Uh, Sandra, I bet you never thought you'd be a, an Internet star, a radio star, when you were at Chase Law School all those years ago. But here you are with us here on 700 WLW. And we appreciate your time and your opinion today. Sandra Spurgeon, good Kentucky girl, Chase Law, proud graduate. Thank you for your time. We appreciate it. Thank you. Have a great weekend. Think about this. If Mitch McConnell doesn't block successfully 
Merrick Garland, who I think is failing miserably as our attorney general, but if he doesn't block Merrick Garland and his nomination after the death of Justice Scalia and citing long, a long-held political uh, propriety, and Merrick Garland gets on the Supreme Court, yesterday never happens. So in essence, Mitch McConnell, it all goes right back to him. He navigated the waters successfully politically and delivered three Supreme Court, at least one, to President Donald Trump. 1257 News Radio, 700 WLW. Linda, what did you do this morning? Nothing special. What if every morning was special? What? You're talking kooky talk. Nope, I'm talking about the latest news, weather, traffic, and sports. Well, that is special. Zeg Dennison, Chuck Ingram, and Jennifer Ketchmark. You're teasing me. Nope, Mike McConnell has them all in the morning. And Mike is famous for his own cutting jocularity and exceptional perceptiveness. That's what Mike wrote down. What do you say, folks? Let's have a special morning every morning with Mike McConnell. Have a special morning every morning with Mike McConnell. Monday morning at 5 on 700 WLW. It's a great day to head on down to one of my all-time favorite places, Little Miami Brewing on the banks of the Little Miami River in the heart of downtown historic Milford. Yes, it is. In fact, tonight, on stage at the brewery, the band Zazoo. And if you'd like to have a beer and watch Zazoo tonight, how about the Psychedelic Mist Dry? It's a sour. It is now on tap. Kettle sour, brewed like an IPA, but just a perfect mix of atomic hoppy flavor and sour blend. Head on down to Little Miami Brewing in the heart of downtown historic Milford. This place was built by people, by all of us, brick by brick, win by win, and my oh my. Look at the things we built together. And now, a new era is coming. New challenges. New opportunities await us. Together, we'll be ready from day one. To learn more about Cincinnati Athletics' Day One Ready campaign, visit GoBearCats.com slash day one. The job market is competitive right now, so you need to be competitive to attract top talent. If you're trying to fill open positions at your business, iHeartMedia is here to help. Use radio and digital targeting to find fresh, passive candidates currently in the workforce. These candidates are listening right now, looking for new opportunities. Together, we can let the community know you're hiring. Visit iHeartAdvertising.com. That's iHeartAdvertising.com. Rocky here. Everyone needs a little something rosy. Now, your host, Ken Brew, on News Radio 700 WLW. Welcome back. It's the Craftsman Electric Saturday afternoon extravaganza. Craftsman Electric, quality craftsmanship, it is in their name. So we're about a month down the road from that school shooting in Uvalde, Texas, the one that killed 19 students and two teachers at Robb Elementary School. And uh, there seem to be a number of things going on. One about four or five parallel investigations and uh, a story that seems to change on a daily basis. Texas Department of Public Safety Director Stephen McCraw is conducting one of those probes. He testified before the Texas State Legislature this week. He presented an updated timeline of events and basically it castigated a number of, uh, a number of things 
not the least of which is Pete Arenado, or Aradano, I'm sorry. He is the school district police chief who, uh, McCross said, the only thing stopping a hallway of dedicated officers from entering that school building and classrooms was Aradano. He decided to place the lives of officers before the lives of children, is what McCraw said. McCraw now, in the wake of his testimony, uh, which was damning, has been told to shut up by the Uvalde district attorney, or the district attorney that covers that area of Texas, uh, to shut up and stop contacting the press and lawmakers. So it looks like the tiny town of Uvalde is... Circling the wagons, as is what normally happens in these kinds of things. Standing by is someone who understands this. He is a doctor of medicine. He is also a former SWAT team member. He calls Tulsa, Oklahoma home, and we've had Mark Sherwood on the show many times before, and it's great to have him back on the show today. Doctor, how are you on this glorious day? Happy Saturday, Ken. Thanks for having me. Honored to be back with you. This is a, a complete an utter disaster that far exceeds those tragic and precious lives that were lost a month ago. This to me seems like a complete breakdown of systems, a complete breakdown of understanding what police work is, or as McCraw said this week, an abject failure. Um, where is the truth in all of this, or is McCraw just somebody that has an axe to grind and a rear end to cover? Well, it's hard to go inside of the heart of mankind, right? So I don't know what people are thinking, but all I can say is that from a tactical standpoint and experiential standpoint is when you're in the hallway in those situations, whether it be a armed and barricaded with no hostages or armed and barricaded with potential hostages or victims, the emotions are high, the communication must be supreme, and the decisions, they, they must be made even at the peril of your own lives. Like if you're there and you have an armed and barricaded situation where there's victims or hostages there and the shots start firing, I think this is a general consensus among most tactical officers, most law enforcement that are brave across this land. You got to go. Regardless of your own safety, you got to go. You got to go neutralize that threat to save one life because all lives lost in this case, every one of them, are tragic, uh, inexcusable, um, just horrible, and we've got to do everything we can to analyze this, what we do wrong, what we do right, and do everything we can to prevent it from happening again. It says here the on-scene commander waited for radios and rifles for one minute, for, I'm sorry, for one hour and 14 minutes, and then they were looking for keys to a door that they really didn't need. Um, there's got to be there's got to be somebody that's at the point of what's going on here. It sounds like it's the guy that was suspended this week, Arredondo, who was the um, the guy that was in charge of the police force around that school. Um, I, I mean, I'm, all all roads are leading to him at this point, aren't they? Well, they seem to be. And uh, again, I think it would be wise to get his side of the story, like anything, but. Having said that, when you're in a situation like that, you've got the rifles, the shields, um, whether the door's locked or not, even if it is locked, you figure out a way to open it. You figure out a way to break that door down. You go in a window, the ceiling, the wall, whatever you got to do yeah. 
to get in that room and nothing is off limits as far as modes that you can do to get there. You know, it, it, it's, it, you and I both know what it's like in small towns across America. And when things like what happened in Uvalde and things that are far less traumatic happen in other towns, there's a circle the wagons mentality. And it sounds like the quote-unquote protecting our own may be going on here. You've got all of these parallel investigations. It would seem to be something that could be easily identified. What was the problem? Who was responsible for the problem? But it seems like there might be some stonewalling going up. You had the mayor say that this McCraw guy uh, had an agenda that he was uh, trying to put forth. Um, I, I think this might be what happens in a lot of small towns across this country where there's the truth and a lot of the people there, even though there were murders committed, uh, they're not eager to give up one of their own. That's what it smells like to me. Well, I certainly... Uh understand the perspective of many in that the optics look terrible and and i don't know the backstory you know the unspoken uh conversations that have happened before the public conversations that were noted however you know my hope is that in all this ken that people will if their mistakes are made you know just own it right own it yeah if we need to redo training own it the hardest thing for law enforcement officers to do, I mean, these are, these are brave men and women, is you know, you're out there and you've got to make these instant decisions that are so scrutinized, and they might not be the best. Yeah. And that's the hard thing. You don't, you don't get a second chance to make a bad decision. You know, it's there. You do it. It ain't going to be right every time. And the greatest thing that this country can learn from this, if mistakes were made, to own them, um, acknowledge them, and do something better and learn something from it going forward. Well, as you know, we live in a litigious society, so I'm sure that uh, you know the lawsuits were, will follow, and uh, that's why there's going to be, I think, on a number of levels out there, some fierce protection of oneself and one's compadre. So. I mean, I mean the, the, whatever the wherever this leads, and whoever it leads to, whether it's one person or multiple people, you have the families of 19 kids that were killed, families of two teachers that were killed. You know, they're going to be lawsuits, and so this is probably you know something that is is is, is taking its time because of that. I mean, the, the civil suits are going to follow here. Totally agree. We live in an extremely litigious society. I think we're the most litigious country in the world by a long shot. Um, the issues at hand here is none of that litigation is going to bring back those 19 students and two teachers. I mean, our job at this point, yeah, you look back, it's like looking in the rearview mirror as a reference point in your car, you know. You better take a good look at it. You better learn from it. You learn from history. But we have got to protect our kids going forward. We have got to get rid of the idea that putting armed security out front, one way in, allowing teachers perhaps to bear arms. All this stuff has got to go forward with the idea that this can never, ever happen again to any American student across our land. All right, uh, doctor, let's talk a little bit about what transpired this week in uh, regards to guns and guns rights. Uh, you know what the decision of the Supreme Court was on Thursday. 
Americans now have a right to carry firearms in public for self-defense. It was a piece of litigation that was brought through the court system in New York State. This struck down a New York uh, state gun law. It was a majority opinion, six to three. Courts conservatives are the ones that handed down the majority opinion. There are some who think now that this is just going to be the Wild West. People just shooting each other up. What was your thought on that particular uh, piece of legislation and uh, uh, that particular ruling, I'm sorry, and what it means for law enforcement officials? Because there's some that thinks this, that th this makes the cop's job harder because of this. Uh, do you agree with that? or and, and how do you feel about this decision by the court? Uh, we're going to have to get uh, Mark back, and we apologize again for an ongoing problem here. I, I don't understand why we just can't have phone calls on a radio talk show. Uh, but if you wouldn't uh, mind getting him back on the phone there, young Matt, I'll uh, rephrase the question to Mark. I think this happened the last time we had Mark on the air. But uh, we'll get him back on the air, and hopefully we can ask that question, because there are some that think, that uh, because of that ruling by the Supreme Court, it's going to make it more difficult for uh, cops to do their job. Because now you don't know if you're walking up to somebody, uh, maybe a traffic stop, maybe to say hello, uh, maybe to just do something that, uh, you know, is just regular run-of-the-mill day stuff. And you have no idea if somebody's going to pull a weapon on you. And that coupled with uh, this bill that was passed this morning by the, the uh, House of Representatives, or late last night, uh, in conjunction with what the Senate did, signed today by the President, uh, some say that just doesn't go far enough. So we'll, uh, we'll have to see where that leads. I guess we're not having, we have Mark on the phone now, Matt? Good, that's beautiful. Mark, sorry for the interruption. We, uh, I don't know, maybe, the, maybe we uh, dropped our, our phone in the water here. But uh, there's some that, some that say that this is going to make the job of cops more difficult. What do you think? You know, I don't think so uh, from the consensus of the street officers that I've talked to. Uh, the majority of the street officers are like, hey, when something goes bad, I'm appreciative for the help. The old saying goes something like this. Emergencies arrive within seconds. The police arrive within minutes. So I think that looking at this opinion, it is correct in that the conservative majority ruled that you can indeed bear arms and understand the Second Amendment in its face. It's the only amendment that has the explanation, if you will, in it, why we have it. And it's for the necessity of the security of our free state. So, you know, I think that across the land, this is going to be a a benefit, although there's a lot of strong opinions on both sides, of course. Yeah, uh, it, it, yeah. I, I, I mean, I think the law was the, the law was interpreted correctly. Uh, the implementation is always is always the big thing, and I, I, I don't know whether this new gun law that uh, both sides of the house, both sides of Congress, hammered out. I, I don't know if it goes far enough for those that want stricter gun control, and I don't know if it really infringes all that much on on the Second Amendment. Uh, you're in Oklahoma. Do you have do you have anything that uh, approaches a red flag law out there in Oklahoma? We don't now. We used to in our Oklahoma Constitution. There's a little bit of a, uh, a semicolon after that statement in Second Amendment shall not be infringed. 
the, the U.S. Constitution is a period there, but Oklahoma has a little clause that says basically unless the legislature is deemed necessary for the safety of Oklahoma. So we are still fighting that uphill battle. Um, but having said that, when I was a police officer years ago for a time, there was red flag laws. Uh, the red flag laws have a potential of weaponization, of course. I, I don't like you, Ken, so I'm going to say something about you, right? Well, that maybe a lot of people do, so just go right ahead. Crap. A lot of people do. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, they're, they're, they're crazy in the subjective nature of them. Who determines the veracity or the truthfulness of a statement, right? And right. so I remember those very clearly. You show up at the scene of a, uh, you know, a boyfriend, girlfriend, or husband and wife dispute, and he said, she said, she said, he said, and then you're like, okay, you're stuck, and you just immediately, you have to do something. You remove that weapon, and then who determines how long the weapon's removed? Uh, 19 states now have red plate locks, 31 don't, and, you know, then how long is the person deprived? Who decides that's going to be a judge? And so and just there's no consistency. And this, the cool thing about this, or the negative thing, however you want to look at it, is all this federal legislation is going to not apply to the states because the states never gave up those rights of gun legislation to the, the Congress. And so, therefore, the Tenth Amendment's going to apply, and the majority of the states are going to look at this and say, well, I, I'm going to do some of that. I'm going to take that federal money and do it. But some states might likely say, nope, I'm not taking any money and don't care what you say. Yeah, that's right. I, I, I could. I think that's a that is a real scenario, particularly a lot of states yep. that are out west and down south. Uh, doctor, thanks for hanging with us. We're going to have to go. You stay well, okay? We need to hear your voice, and we'll visit down the road. Sounds great, Ken. Have a good one. There he is, Doctor Mark Sherwood. Yeah, I, I think for for gun rights proponents, this was a good week. Uh, for those of you that think that uh, we don't have enough law in, laws in effect to try and curtail the number of guns and the, and the amount of violence in this country with guns. Uh, I don't think anything. Uh, the, the bill that was negotiated bilaterally in, in uh, the House and in the Senate, uh, nor the ruling by the Supreme Court, I don't think it did anything for you, to be honest with you. 126 News Radio 700 WLW. What does it cost to fill your car's gas tank? Oh, man! Too much. Oh, give me a break. But there's a simple solution. Merrill's Mule Rentals. Count your savings as you mule it to the store, office, or pool. Plus, mules eat grass, so you'll save on mowing, too. There's nothing greener than a Merrill Mule. They'll haul firewood, carry heavy laundry baskets, and they love playing Scrabble with the family. Merrill's Mules on Montgomery Road. Save fuel and rent a mule. If you're looking to buy or sell, it's time to call Hoding Realtors. And if you're looking to sell, you need to get their free market analysis. That's right, free. They will tell you exactly what your house is worth. All you have to do is call 513-451-4800. You'll get that free market analysis. And if you're looking, they've got some great places for you to see. Sylvia Kalker listed a full, uh, full brick for family in Covedale, four two-bedroom units, Four-car garage. This is a great investment property. Well-maintained. It's going to sell fast. Call Hoding, 513-451-4800. Or on the Internet, Hoding with an E.com. As the country bounces back from COVID and mask mandates are lifted, your business needs a lift. 140 News Radio, 700 WLW. Welcome back. I am Ken Brew. Great to have you with us on this Saturday. You know, I... I mentioned that it's 140, but as you and I both know,
It's five o'clock somewhere. There's one for you. Let's see what we got. Oh, that's a that's a hazy IPA. I love hazy IPAs. Pop a top again. You tell us about it, AJ. I've just got time for one more round. Set them up, my friend. Then I'll be gone and you can let some other booze sit down. Hey, that's right. Sterling is in at 3 o'clock. <laughs> I'm sure he'll be chock full of stuff. So I read this the other day, and I found it disturbing. Maybe you will, too. More than one in three, 34% of us actually, have less emergency savings now than a year ago. 34% less emergency savings now than one year ago. Only 42% of us are comfortable with our savings right now. And 23% of us have absolutely no emergency savings at all. How do I know this? Well, because I, you know, go on to bankrate.com a lot, and that's where I find my next guest. He is Greg McBride, CFA, the Chief Financial Officer at bankrate.com. This is all part of a new poll that they took about the financial health of our country. And in a word, it is, wait a minute, it'd be two words, not good. Greg McBride, how are you on this glorious Saturday? Oh, I'm great, Ken. Thanks so much for having me. It's always a pleasure to be with you. Well, this uh, this uh, survey is extremely interesting and disturbing at the same time. Only 42% of us here in the United States are comfortable with their savings right now. Uh, 29% are somewhat comfortable. 13% very comfortable. But that's, uh, that's on the wrong side of the border right there. 42 compared to 58% who are not very comfortable. What does that tell you about where we are financially in this country? Well, it's not just that reading. It's how it's changed so dramatically in the last couple of years. You know, the ironic thing, Ken, is that Americans, by and large, are better positioned with regard to emergency savings now than they had been for years and years up until the pandemic. And yet you're seeing this comfort level erode, and very significantly so in the last 12 months. Inflation really uh, speaks to a lot of that. Uh, you know, with inflation being a 40-year high, That'll really erode you know, your comfort level with the savings that you've accumulated, not to mention the buying power of that of, of the savings you've accumulated. So, you know, even if your savings situation is more or less the same as it was a, a year ago, it doesn't buy as much. People feel that, and you're seeing that erode that comfort level that people have with uh, what they've put aside. Not to castigate any particular age group, but my age group was always told by our parents, and, you know, I mean, what I'm saying is anecdotal. I'm not sure everyone in my age group was, but you should have at least six months of salary in the bank as a savings in case anything catastrophic happened. You lost your job, somebody got sick, you had to have surgery. But I'm looking here, 40% of millennials have at least three months' expenses saved. 40%, that means 60% do not. Uh, that's an age group that wants it and wants it right now, and spending doesn't seem to be a problem for them. I mean, culturally, how much of this is a problem, do you think? Well, I, I think a lot of this has just, it takes time to build up an adequate cushion. I mean, you think about just even the marker of three months, and I agree, the ultimate destination for most people is going to be six months' worth of expenses. But that marker on the trail of, of, of three months, what constitutes three months of expenses is a moving target. 
and particularly in the early years of adulthood. I mean, that number is a moving target as your expenses increase through your 20s, your 30s, your 40s, may not even level out until you're in your 50s. And, you know, at that point, you're in your peak earning years. And that's what we start to see is there, you know, it just takes time to accumulate a, a sufficient emergency cushion. It doesn't happen overnight. So we do see a higher propensity among Gen Xers and baby boomers than we do among millennials. But we've been looking at this for over a decade. And I think to, to the credit of millennials, they've actually uh, demonstrated a lot of better savings behavior over that time than we had seen from previous generations. Again, it's just going to take time. Yeah. Uh, if you've only been in the workforce for you know a, a dozen years, but your expenses you know have, have gone up significantly as you went from living in an apartment to now a house in the suburbs, uh, you, you know, with kids and stuff like that, you know, it's difficult to, to really make a lot of headway and accumulate that cushion. The needle hasn't moved all that much on the amount of Americans that have no savings at all. It's 23% down from 25% last year. But that's, as, as, as the survey points out, 23% is the lowest level of no emergency savings in 12 years. You go back 12 years in, in, into this into this country and um this country was doing okay it was just kind of getting out of of the great crash of 2008 did that does this speak more of and again go back to your initial point inflation now and where we're marching towards economically as a whole in this country is there something to be said there uh for that one particular metric inside this particular survey no, I think it's consistent with what we see on, on other thresholds. We see fewer people in the precarious position of having no emergency savings. And we see uh, more people having, for example, enough to cover at least six months worth of expenses. That's the highest since 2018. Uh, those that have enough to cover three months, but not quite enough to cover six months. It's the highest in the 12 years we've been conducting the poll. Uh, some that, you know, the percentage that have savings, but not quite enough to cover three months expenses yet. That too is the highest in the 12 years we've been polling. So just kind of speaks to in general, households are better positioned with emergency savings now than they had been for years and years up until the pandemic. We did see that savings surge uh, in the, during the pandemic, you couldn't spend money. There was more stimulus coming in, but we've started to see the households having to lean against that savings here, particularly in the last year, with inflation on the rise and stretching household budget. Uh, you make $50,000 as a family per year. 37% of that group has no emergency savings. You make over hundred k combined. Uh, a majority, 59%, feel comfortable with their level of savings. Um, so, I mean, it, it, it all goes back to how much money is coming in and how much you can put aside. But this is, this is a concern now because the great American dream was, you know, I'm going to have some kids, I'm going to buy a house, I'm going to put some money aside from... Uh, what I make and maybe put it into a college fund or maybe have my employer match my 401k. We're in rough shape in this country. Two-thirds of Americans live paycheck to paycheck. And I can't ever remember, I'm sure it's been that way before me, but I can't ever remember it being that way, paycheck to paycheck, hand to mouth. That's a large number, is it not? Oh, it certainly is. And you see that across income groups, but successful saving is all about the habits. Uh, And we see evidence that that habit is in effect uh, for a lot of households, uh, uh, for all income groups uh, earning at least $50,000 a year, the majority of those households have at least enough to cover three months worth of expenses. Mm-hmm. So 
yes, we may have a, a majority of households that say they're living paycheck to paycheck, but we're also in a position where more people have some money put aside than we've seen, uh, you know, up until just a couple of years ago. So, you know, particularly with economic uncertainty uh, on the horizon, you'll be better positioned to weather that if you have less debt and more savings. Uh, you know, so I think having more savings is good. I think the troubling aspect is that inflation is eroding that. It's causing people to, to have to dip into it, um, even at a time when uh, the, the labor market is still very strong. It's just that does uh, provide, I think, a little bit of reason for concern over the course of the next year or two. All right, Greg McBride, Chief Financial Analyst. I'm going to throw you a breaking ball here. You hit the fastball pretty good so far. I'm throwing you a breaking ball. I don't know if you like baseball or not. Can I throw you a breaking ball here? Go ahead. Um, <laughs> and I, it, it's even better when you know the breaking ball. Is <laughs> That's all right. Like yeah. Somebody's <laughs> stealing signs. All right. Look ahead. Crystal ball. Joey, Joey Votto probably never knows the breaking ball. <laughs> yeah, well, he's he's having trouble identifying it this year. That's for sure. But um, uh, here's the breaking ball. Uh, look ahead. Crystal ball this country financially six to nine months down the road. I know no one knows for sure, but, I mean, you study these things. Where are we going to be six to nine months down the road? Are we still going to be... Where we are now, where stagflation is in excess of 11%, inflation, you know, maybe flopping around the 8 9%. Where, where are we going to be, do you think, come winter 2023? Inflation will be coming down, but slowly. Um, I'd be shocked if we saw inflation get below 6% by the end of the year. Um, so I think something in that 5 to 7% neighborhood probably realistic if we look six months down the road, mm-hmm. six to nine months down the road, probably something in the five to 7% neighborhood. I think the problem is that you mentioned the word stagflation. That's likely to be coupled with uh, a much weaker economic environment. We're already seeing signs that the economy is slowing. Um, and so, you know, I think the odds of recession certainly growing, not necessarily a 2022 thing, but the odds go up in 2023. So, you know, looking towards, you know, say the nine months, uh, part of that of, of your horizon you put out there, I, I think that you know, it's, you know, it's not a great uh, outlook um, because of the flowing economy, but inflation that remains stubbornly high. Yeah, yeah. Unfortunately, I, 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 your opinion kind of falls in with everything else I'm hearing. Well, we'll hope for something different, but we have to brace for reality. Greg McBride's always great catching up with you. Good stuff on this, and uh, way to hit the curveball. That's fantastic. We'll talk down the road. I appreciate it, Ken. Thanks so much. And and it's. That's why, with all that's transpired in the last couple of days with the Supreme Court, and uh, I'm sure the rhetoric will be will be very, very ignited here. And I know that uh, Schumer, Pelosi, uh, AOC, on that side of the political aisle, they're going to use this to try and gin up the vote. But the fact of the matter is, it is and always has been about the economy. And if the Democrats don't want to lose big in November, they got to figure things out quickly. Quickly. 151 News Radio 700 WLW. I was stuck in traffic when my laxative finally kicked in. A panhandler gave me money. And I got a letter from the high school principal suggesting my eldest should consider dropping out. Sometimes life can feel a little stressful. But you can always kick back with Eddie and Rocky. We like a good time. You like a good time. It's a match made in heaven. Eddie and Rocky, Monday at 3.
on 700 WLW. Great day to head on down to my favorite place along the Little Miami River. It is Little Miami Brewing. And I'll tell you what, when you get there, just take a look off to the side. It's their brand new award-winning event center and... You can rent that for your next party or your next wedding reception. Ask inside. They'll be able to tell you. And when you're inside, enjoy some of the best beers on the planet and pizzas and salads, too. Entertainment tonight. Yes, sir, at about 8 o'clock tonight, it'll be Zazu, the band Zazu, on stage in the brewery. And tomorrow, beginning at 4, it's Tom Stevenson, Little Miami Brewing, in the heart of downtown historic Milford. Make this the year you go. It's the Craftsman Electric Saturday afternoon extravaganza. Craftsman Electric, quality craftsmanship, it is in their name. Okay, so in Washington, D.C., the uh, January 6th committee has taken a hiatus, but they will be back. Um, they have uh, been grinding it out there. Not sure there's anything new that we've heard or descriptively new that would move anyone who is a Donald Trump supporter off that particular mark. Uh, I happen to think that if you're a Trump supporter, um, you're still a Trump supporter. Uh, if you're not, you still think he's the Antichrist. Uh, nothing has changed your opinion of him since those committee hearings began about a month ago. But there's something interesting that is developing in Georgia right now. Because uh, down there, there is a, um, a legal proceeding that's about to begin in Fulton County. Uh, they have convened a special grand jury to investigate Trump's efforts to overturn the 2020 election results in that state. It centers around a phone call between Trump and Georgia Secretary of State Brad Raffensperger. Uh, in that phone call, Trump asked Raffensperger, again, the Georgia Secretary of State, to, quote, find 11,780 votes to overturn the current president, President Biden's victory in that state. Uh, Trump said there was nothing wrong with the phone call, that numerous lawyers were online with him when he made it. Nevertheless, that, more so than January 6th, could be a problem for the former president. Now the issue is, if indeed there is legal jeopardy for him there, and if indeed that legal jeopardy leads to a conviction with impending jail time, with the current president... Pardon Donald Trump in return for Trump admitting that he was wrong and never agreeing to run for office again. It is an interesting scenario, somewhat similar to what this country went through in 1976 with uh, President Gerald Ford and former President Richard Nixon. Standing by to weigh in on this, we've had Dr. Harlan Ullman on the show before. He is an internationally recognized strategic thought leader and the author of this book, The Fifth Horseman and the New Mad, How Massive Attacks of Disruption Became the Looming Existential Danger to a Divided Nation and the World at Large. And Dr. Ullman, how are you on this glorious Saturday? Ken, how, thank you for having me back. Lots of stuff to talk about in Washington with the two Supreme Court hearings, January 6th, and as you pointed out, uh, the hearings that are going on in Georgia. Yeah. Uh, I must say, however... I think that the January 6th hearings and the evidence provided by the Republican members of Donald Trump's team raises open the question of whether the president is guilty of conspiring to commit sedition under Title 18 of the U.S. Code. 
in overthrowing or attempting to overthrow a government. Are you, are you speaking the of the people that are testifying? You're not talking about the two members of the committee that are Republicans, are you? No, I'm talking about the no, I'm talking about the Republicans who have testified so mm. far. The evidence, assuming that it can be validated and it's under oath, is seemingly overwhelming, and so that the case can be made that the president, ex-president, should be indicted for these very, very serious charges. Now, this not only raises, as you point out a range of critical issues from Merrick Garland, the attorney general. Are you going to indict a former president? It didn't happen with Richard Nixon in 1974. And if you do, and it goes to trial, you've got to make sure that you have an absolute slam dunk that's 100% guaranteed to get a conviction because you can't take a swing and a miss. Mm -hmm. Now, if that were to happen, what does Joe Biden do? And so this becomes a hugely serious issue because no matter what Biden would do under these circumstances, a huge percentage of the population is going to be in violent disagreement. If he pardons Trump, people will say that Trump got off too early. And if he doesn't pardon Trump, people will say you can't really um, indict and convict a former president. Now, this could go up to the Supreme Court, assuming Trump is indicted and convicted, which is a huge assumption because I'm not sure he will be either. What does the Supreme Court then do? Does it say double jeopardy applies? The issue of double jeopardy is not settled law. It does apply to vice presidents, mm -hmm. and it does apply to uh, judges and members of Congress, but so far not to former presidents. Yeah. Or do the Congress or does the, the, the Supreme Court say, look, executive power is vested solely in the president, and if the president makes a misjudgment, even if he's told about that, He's not guilty. So now you have these constitutional issues that are swirling, and then you raise Roe v. Wade, which has been overturned, and the New York concealed carry law, which has been overturned, and you have a mixture of massive attacks of disruption, Ken, that are worthy of 19, of 1861 and the firing on Fort Sumter. Yeah. This country is in turmoil, and I guarantee you it's only going to get worse no matter how you come out on these decisions in the Supreme Court, and this will affect pro-lifers and pro gun people as much as anybody else because they don't realize the direction this could head the country into in terms of the further polarization and, and divisions that have taken place because of the Supreme Court action. Without making any commentary, whether I disagree or agree with the Supreme Court, it has put in place actions that are going to divide and roil the country no matter yeah. what happens. Yeah, I mean, you're, you're, but, uh, and I want to get in that, but I want to go back to Trump for a second. I don't think he's going to be sure. indicted. I don't think that's going to happen. I think that, um, um, regardless of where January 6th goes, uh, and, yeah, you've got a bunch of Trump underlings that are saying he did this, he said he did that. If they really had a smoking gun, we would have seen it day one, and we we, we haven't seen it. I think this, this whole thing on January 6th is more politically driven than it is legally driven. They want to crush this guy. It's the same faces that we've seen up there. For the past two impeachments, they want to. They, they just want to get them, get him. Uh, Trump is his own worst enemy. He can't let go of 2020, and so therefore, I don't think he is a viable or electable candidate in 2024. He won't. He won't move forward. But they're not going uh, going to indict him. If they do that, then what they've really done is split this country. And Biden, who is a weak president to begin with. Uh, his party wouldn't be emboldened. It would be further weakened. I just think politically it would be an absolute disaster if they walked down and that I, road. I agree, with, I agree with much if you say, but I think there have been huge numbers of smoking guns. The fact that the deputy counsel to the president told uh, John Eastman that what he was doing was illegal and to get the best defense attorney he could find 
the fact that the attorney general, the senior law enforcement officer in the country, called what Trump was doing nonsense. Uh, there are too many smoking guns, and it will not be the it will not be the House impeachment committee that indicts the president. It will be the, the attorney general and the Department right. of Justice. As I said, Gar, uh, uh, Merrick Garland has a huge issue on its hand. But supposing the evidence, supposing the evidence is overwhelming, what needs to be done? These yeah. are really difficult times, and I agree with you. I don't think it's going to happen. But should it happen? And compiled with Roe v. Wade and concealed carry, uh, this is going to go back to yeah. 1861. Yeah, unfortunately, yeah. Merrick Garland is quite possibly the most politicized attorney general we've had in my lifetime. In fact, I can't think of another one. And he John has Mitchell. select. Uh, yeah, John yeah, Mitchell. John, yeah, John Mitchell. Okay, we're going but back. That was, that was we're going back. Years, we're going back years 60 ago. years ago. But my point being yeah. is, he has selective. Uh, taste for what he wants to prosecute. I, I, I just think if, if they want to get down and dirty and nasty with this, and particularly after November, where I think we're going to have a regime change, I think this is, uh, this is, this is going to be something that is not going to be beneficial for the country. And in, in, a, in a real sense, it's not going to be beneficial for a, a party, the Democrats, that have got, they've got a lot of turf to dig out from under. So, um, I, 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 I don't sense it going that way. And, yeah, I've, I've heard the testimony, and I don't think there's a smoking gun. But, okay, you, you, you say there is. Uh, the only people that can refute that aren't people that have been called in yet. And until and if they get Donald Trump in a witness stand, uh, you know, it's he said, she said. So we'll see. It well, could he'll claim, be. He'll claim, he'll claim the fifth. It's a question of Pat Salipo. Well, Counsel we'll who does not give who is not given executive privilege of a yeah. criminal case. Yeah. But let me take it a step further. Yeah. Let's assume the Democrats lose and the Republicans win a large majority in both houses, right? Mm -hmm. What prevents the Republicans from turning the tables and impeaching Joe Biden in large measure over dereliction oh. of duty I think in terms will. of the Afghan in terms of the yeah. Afghan yeah. withdrawal? Absolutely. I, I, I think I think he, he I think he will be impeached and I think it will be. It may be Afghan, but it'll it'll certainly involve the southern border as well. No, I I I fully expect him not convicted, but I expect him to be impeached by the House if they gain control in 2020 uh, in, in November of this year. Yeah. And the idea is that if they try to impeach him over Afghanistan, it will be the same reason that Trump is being <laughs> under the gun for January 6th mm -hmm. in that Trump made huge misjudgments in rejecting the election. And uh, uh, Joe Biden made a huge misjudgment in, in rejecting the advice of all of his principal officers who said, if you do this, Afghanistan is going to fail. I mean, that's just an interesting irony. Yeah, but that's yeah. where this country is. Yeah. I mean, we are teetering. We are teetering on an uncivil civil war. And as I said in my book, Massive Attacks and Disruptions, these attacks, whether they're man-made or, or, man, or acts of nature, are tearing this country apart because the Constitution is under attack. Yes, it is. Roe v. Wade and, and concealed carry are attacking the Constitution because, look, nowhere in the Constitution is the right to abortion mentioned. It's only by inference to the 14th Amendment. Mm -hmm. And nowhere in the Constitution and the Second Amendment... All right, here we go again. Um, technology just abounds. Um, Matt, would you see if you could reconnect with Dr. Ullman and uh, 
maybe we can get him to finish that thought. It's pretty, pretty amazing. Um, but yeah, there's a uh, but there's a uh, a real there's a real um, or could be a real constitutional crisis. No, there's nowhere in the in the uh, in the Constitution where abortion is mentioned, and it defaults back to the Tenth Amendment, which says what's not in the Constitution uh, then becomes a matter of states' rights. I'm sorry for the interruption there, Doctor, but you were mentioning no. that 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 the, the Second Amendment is in the Constitution. Abortion is not. Correct. Um, I and I think that's the that's the key difference between these two decisions that have transpired here in the last forty eight hours. Except, except there is no only by inference. When you read the Second Amendment, which says a well regulated militia being necessary to the security of a free state, the right of the people bear and carry arms shall not be infringed. Nowhere does that mention self defense or the right to carry concealed weapons. Nowhere. There's an inference here. There's an inference. Just like the inference in the 14th Amendment about Roe v. Wade. And so in one case, the court said this inference doesn't work. And the other case, it says our interpretation does. Now, interestingly, if the Democrats had a majority, guess how both cases would have come out? Sure. Sure. Oh, oh, Dr. Ullman, the most powerful. All of this can be traced back to 2015. Justice Scalia passing away and Mitch McConnell blocking, in essence, the nomination of Merrick Garland. If he is if Absolutely. he is nominated and he would have been confirmed, Friday doesn't happen. Thursday doesn't happen. Yeah. And under these circumstances, irrespective of whether one agrees or disagrees, what this decision has done is to impose a massive attack of disruption on American society. Because when the court says we'll leave it to the people and to their elected representatives, the people and the elected representatives can't sort this out. For example, if a woman in one state where abortion is illegal chooses to have that procedure in a state where it's legal and then comes back to her own state, she can be prosecuted. Mm -hmm. This almost goes back to uh, Dred Scott's decision in 1857, where a slave gone to a free state, if the owner wants him back and that slave is, is... that slave is considered property. Um, that slave was sent back to uh, original condition. So you have a two-tier issue here, it seems to me, of a double standard. Sure, I mean, well, that's I mean, what we're facing. This yeah, well, yeah, if we could, how about this hypothetical? Now, abortion now becomes a a, a state's issue, and it will be at right. the behest of of the House and the Senate in each and every state. In Kentucky, for example, it's outlawed. In, in Ohio, right. it's the heartbeat rule, uh, and that right. may be usurped by even greater or more uh, wide-ranging uh, legislation. But what happens in four years if all of a sudden o- Ohio becomes a blue state and the House is controlled right. not by Republicans, by Democrats? Do they then change the rule back to abortion is legal in Ohio? You could have these you. wild pivots every four years Absolutely. on this issue. And that's the problem here, because the people in the states cannot deal with the abortion issue. And unfortunately, now that this Pandora's box has been opened and all the harpies of hell are fleeing out, uh, the legal system is going to be put in an impossible position for not only the hypothetical, but for the realities that that we have been discussing. In other words, this is going to be a situation where the political process may not be capable, and that just layers another issue of disruption that is already making the country more violent 
and less prone to any kind of civil or compromise uh, response. And so I think we're in a very dangerous time. I think this is the most dangerous time in my lifetime, by the way. And even though I propose, you know, a number of solutions in the last three chapters of my book, unless Americans understand how vulnerable we are, we are on the wrong trajectory. And the only people who are going to benefit from this are Xi Jinping and China's president and Vladimir Putin, Russia's president, who are going to sit back and watch the United States implode unless we take action. Uh, 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 truer words haven't been spoken on this radio station maybe in its history the fifth horseman and the new man how massive attacks of disruption became the looming existential danger to a divided nation and the world at large you can find it everywhere just go to the fifth horseman and it'll pop right up uh dr ullman great great uh, give and take really enjoyed it thank, thank you so you much know. for your time thank you all right there he is dr harlan ullman I think he's right. We're at a point right now in our history that it's um, I- I've never seen in all my years on Earth. And what looks like a win one day may not be a win the next day. People are out yelling and screaming, carrying signs. And that's good if you want to protest. That's your God-given right. What you really need to do is put down the signs, stop the chanting, and pay attention to the state elections. Who is your state representative? Who is your state senator? Get involved in those elections because that's where politics is. It is, after all, always local. 225 News Radio 700 WLW. Hey, kids, listen up. Time for another story from Uncle Willie's big book of great Americans. Today, Rocky Balboa, the epitome of the American dream. You see, Rocky was a down and out bum. No luck at all. Didn't stop him, though. With good old-fashioned red, white, and blue hard work, he became the heavyweight boxing champion of the world. He defeated that commie cheater, Ivan Drago. Rocky Balboa, just like me, is a great American with a mighty left hook. You can be a great American, too. Listen to Bill Cunningham, Monday at 12 noon on 700 WLW. If you're looking to sell your home, the one piece of information you need to have is, what is my home actually worth? You can get that information, and you can get it free, because the good folks at Hoding Realtors will give you that information for free. All you have to do is call them right now, area code 513-451-4800. If you call that number, they'll give you a complete market analysis of your home, what your home is worth, with the upgrades you've put in, and what the rest of the homes in your neighborhood are really selling for, not necessarily what's published. 513-451-4800. 513-451-4800. Call Hoding now or find them on the internet. Hoding with an E dot com. Hey, it's Nick. Ready to hear all of the juicy details about my dating life? Here we go. Just when you think there was nothing sacred anymore, apparently there is even more that is not sacred. Because out in Las Vegas, there is a crackdown going on right now in Elvis Presley-themed weddings. Yes, yes, yes. Elvis might have left the building for good. There's a company called Authentic Brands Group, ABG, and it has all control over the licensing of image and likeness for major celebrities, people like Marilyn Monroe and Muhammad Ali, and yes, the king of rock and roll. Now, if you've been to Vegas, and even if you didn't get married by an Elvis impersonator, you certainly have seen people who have done that. 
you know, and there are, I don't know, half dozen, maybe nine Elvis running around there just looking to marry anybody, somebody. And, you know, they get dressed up in the jumpsuit, and they probably play hunk a hunk of burning love over the speaker. Uh, you get married legally, everybody goes home. So you got to go back to Vegas and get a quickie Elvis Presley divorce. But the fact of the matter is, these Elvis Presley-themed weddings were very, very popular. And now, as of the middle of last month, a company, this company, ABG, has sent a cease and desist letter to all of these Elvis that are running around trying to marry those that want to experience wedded bliss. What's going on here? Is Elvis-themed anything now in great danger, be it wedding or otherwise? Standing by is somebody who studies this stuff for a living. They call him the patent doctor. He is John Risby, and he teaches law at Nova Southeast University down in the Sunshine State. And John Risby, how are you on this glorious Saturday? Oh, I'm good. Always a, a pleasure speaking to you. I'm glad you're back with us here because I think there are a lot of people that might think, well, let's go out to Vegas, let's get married. You know, we can go to this chapel, and here's this dude that looks like Elvis, and it'll be fun, and it'll be campy, and it will be legal, at least legal in, in the sense of, you know, getting married. you got a marriage certificate. You probably have a guy dressed up like Elvis who's a, you know, uh, somebody that could legally marry you, a justice of the peace or whatever. I'm, I'm, just, I'm just wondering, is this a case, in your opinion, of Elvis Presley's estate just saying, look, this is our guy, we've licensed him, and sorry about what's been going on for the last 50 years. Is it all about money, in your opinion? Uh, yes, unfortunately, I, I think it is. Uh, as you mentioned, this is the authentic brands also manages the estates of Marilyn Monroe, Muhammad Ali, and a lot of the value uh, in the Elvis estate, of course, and a lot of the value is, is, is coming. There's an incredible amount of demand, especially with uh, Vegas kind of being, uh, you know, substantially slowed or even shut down because of COVID. Now that things are opening up and travel, you can travel without a mask. That There's just as uh, things were getting better for the wedding chapel industry in Vegas, and they, they finally are crawling out from a grueling two years of, of losses, uh, this is like this is a tough thing for them to swallow right now, just as they're they're looking forward to the revenue to have uh, receive a cease and desist letter from authentic brands. But why would authentic brands be doing this now? I mean, these Elvis weddings in Vegas have been going on almost since the day after the guy died. I mean, we're talking moving on close to fifty years. What? Why? Why now? Yeah, a great question. I mean, it's from 1977 onwards, they have not stepped forward uh, uh, to, to prevent this, and it's happening now. So there's, there's a lot of theories. Some of it is maybe there's COVID losses uh, that Authentic Brands themselves is trying to recover that Elvis' estate has had, and this is an opportunity to, to make up some of that lost revenue. Uh, what is a little bit strange, though, is these cease and desist letters are not asking for a royalty payment, and they're not directly asking for money. They're simply asking the, the wedding chapels to stop the weddings, the Elvis-themed weddings. Uh, but that may just be temporary because I think the first step may be to, to restrict, severely restrict supply uh, by eliminating all Elvis-themed weddings. And then in the future, 
open up licensing avenues so that you could get legitimately officially licensed uh, wedding chapels that have been giving permission from uh, uh, authentic brands to, uh, to, to, to do Elvis-themed weddings. And if that's the case, there's going to be this credible demand uh, and a limited supply of just a few uh, licensed wedding chapels. And, and that's going to obviously bring up the cost substantially, but could be a, a really uh, a huge windfall for Elvis's estate and uh, in licensing fees. Yeah, it's. I mean, it's interesting. When Elvis Presley died, the estate was in disarray. It took his, his former wife, Priscilla Presley, to get the estate back on its feet. They turned his house in Memphis into this, this museum, this shrine, and then there's all sorts of things around that house that bring tourists in. And it's now become a thriving business. Um, Priscilla Presley is moving on in years. Um, she'll probably not be around much longer. His daughter is obviously still very young. There are heirs, I'm sure, to, the, to his, his estate and his fortune. But it could also be, and, and again, you would know better than I, it could also be protecting the product, not necessarily looking to license something down the road, but the fear of, okay, if you've got Elvis weddings, maybe you've got Elvis funerals, and then maybe you have Elvis strip shows, and then, you know, it just goes, it could, it could go on and on and on, and it might be simply protecting the image in the product, right, and not necessarily trying to license something down the road. Is there a possibility that that could be going on here? Uh, yeah, there could be some of that, and a lot of the, the, the wedding chapels, though, like, they believe that they are doing uh, the Elvis estate a, a favor by keeping him alive through these weddings. There's, you know, obviously 1977 is, is now a long time ago. There's an entire uh, couple generations of people that have grown up without, uh, without Elvis. Mm -hmm. So in, in a lot of ways, the wedding chapels and the Elvis-themed weddings, uh, the, the chapels believe is already beneficial to the estate uh, and that and they believe they should be able to just continue that uh, royalty-free uh, and I and I don't know. I mean, Authentic Brands is in a, a, a tough position. I, I think, y yes, there may be some benefit, but I my prediction is that I it's not. The goal is not ultimately to prevent Elvis themed weddings. It's to share in the profiting yeah. of that, and they want to license official wedding chapels. Yeah, yeah. It's funny because you may not know this, but uh, and I don't expect you would. But there was a time several Halloweens ago that I went out and I bought an Elvis costume at a local costume store here, and it had the whole thing. It had the white jumpsuit, and it had the black wig and the big glasses. I, I I really truly looked a lot like him. I thought. In fact, people were asking me. I thought she died several years ago. Why? Why are those things? Why can I get that? For example, at a costume store here in Cincinnati, like Capels, which is a big costume store here in Cincinnati, why can I get that? Because we're not fooling anybody. It doesn't say Elvis Presley costume on it. It just, you know, it just you can tell what it is when you're looking at it. How do they get away with it? Yeah. So that's uh, and speaking of Halloween, you'll see other costumes as well. For example, uh, the for several years and, and probably even this coming Halloween, you'll see it again. There's a costume that's just Kansas farm girl costume. They don't mention the Wizard of Oz. They don't mention Dorothy. But, you know, there's, there's some people that believe that perhaps the wedding chapels that don't get licensed, uh, uh, the Elvis licensed uh, 
theme are going to have like this generic rock and roll themed wedding offering. And it just remains to be seen if consumers are going to buy that, if they're going to be interested, uh, because I think for, for their purposes, they want the, the wedding to be advertised and they want their guests to see it specifically as an Elvis themed wedding, not right. a rock and roll, a generic rock and roll themed wedding. Right, right, right. And, and uh, you mentioned this earlier. I mean, these, these businesses out in Vegas, although a lot of them were COVID proof, they did suffer from the lack of travel in this country for many months. Um, how badly do you think this is going to affect these chapel weddings? Because it, I mean, let, let's face it, if you're going to get married and you're going to go to Vegas, you wanted to have something to do with Vegas, so Elvis would be the normal thing. I, I mean, are, how badly do you think it would affect that area, that business? How injurious would something like this be to that business? Well, it's, it's one of these things where the more integral Elvis is to a particular chapel's offerings, there's some of them that this is just like one flavor of wedding, so to speak, that they offer. And it's just, you know, no more important than all the other themed weddings they have. Uh, those chapels are in the best position to uh, sustain this and without as significant of an impact. There are other chapels, however, that the Elvis-themed wedding is, is their primary focus like that's their niche and those are the, the chapels that are really going to have a much harder time uh on the other hand perhaps if a licensing arrangement is offered they may be the ones that are the most likely to go ahead and become uh, officially licensed yeah um john risby's our guest he is the patent professor we're talking about how in uh, vegas they're all shook up because this authentic brands group which licensed elvis presley related merchandise has been sending cease and desist orders to these various chapels in Vegas where people go to get um, Vegas weddings. I would think, and I don't know, and you, you may not know definitively either, but I, I would think if the next logical step in this would be a Michael Jackson wedding or a Prince wedding or anybody else, all of those estates, I would think, would have to be protected in some way, shape, or form as well. I, I think Elvis was kind of free game because he was someone that didn't grow up and die in an overly litigious society, and in essence, I think there was this this benign uh, look that that uh, was given to these Vegas weddings with Elvis lookalikes by the Presley estate. But I would think some of these more recent celebrities that have died, and somebody might want to start a cottage business like that, I would have to think they're protected. Uh, that estate is protected some way, shape, or form legally, wouldn't you? Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, and you know, even the trademarks would be it's the likeness is one thing, but even the name Michael Jackson uh, could be trademarked the way that Elvis, Elvis Presley, uh, even the phrase the King of Rock and Roll are are registered trademarks. Uh, and trademarks don't expire; they can be uh, they can be renewed indefinitely, uh, ten years at a time. So the trademark for Coca-Cola, for example, is over 100 years old. So uh, this is not something that's going to, uh, you know, that, that's going to lose value uh, just because of the passage of time. The one thing where it may lose value is, is relevance, and that's where these chapels believe that uh, authentic brands may be hurting their long-term uh, revenues for, from Elvis-based merchandise and other Elvis-themed uh, licensing fees by 
cracking down on wedding chapels because they believe they're doing a service by keeping his image alive. Well, I'm going to tell you something, John. You might think I'm crazy, but this plays into a theory I've long held that Elvis is not dead, that that was a great hoax back in 77, (laughs) and that Elvis now is preparing to come back and let everyone know where he's been since August of 1977, He's going to say, I'm back, and if you want to get married, you got to come let me do it in person. See, I think this is what is happening here. Now, I might be off base. Am I off base on this? Do you think Elvis is still out there and he's still alive, and now he's had enough of these lookalikes and he's coming back? What do you think? Well, I'd, uh, I'd have to do the math and kind of figure out, uh, unless there's some supernatural, youthful uh, syrup that he's drinking, as to what his current age would be. Um, they certainly would not be dancing the way we all recall he did. No, he may not be. I, I, I think uh, <laughs> Elvis, yeah, Elvis would, uh, he'd be pushing 90. But that's still, you know, that 90 is the new 40. You know that, uh, John. Good stuff. John Risby, he is the patent attorney known as the patent professor. And, John, where can people find you in case they want to make sure that they're not running afoul of the law by having somebody officiate a wedding that's like a Ronald Reagan wedding? Where would people call uh, and get a hold of you? Yeah, so you can uh, – our website is thepatentprofessor.com. That's also my Instagram account. Uh, you can find us on Facebook. And just as a reminder, I mean, it's, it's, my brand is The Patent Professor, but we do all areas of intellectual property, trademarks, copyrights, and clearly licensing and – and uh, uh, the image and likeness type stuff like what's involved with these wedding chapels. So thanks so much. Like I said, I I love uh, uh, speaking to you on this. Yeah, and and just for the record, you are not married by an Elvis uh, lookalike, just so we can make sure that that's not part of the discussion here. Am I correct? Yeah, no, I I was not. As they say, I don't have a dog in the fight, but I guess as far as a, a renewal uh, a vow renewal ceremony. I guess uh, it's too late for that. It's too late <laughs> for, for that, for John. Uh, John Risby. There you go, John Risby. Thanks for your time. We appreciate it. Pleasure. So, if your kisses lift me higher, like the sweet song of a choir, and light my morning sky like burning love, you'll have to get another theme for your wedding. Yes. Elvis has truly left the building. Ken Brew, 700 WLW. Hey, hey. It's baseball in the city by the bay. Put some pain on them. Our red legs are in San Francisco to take on the Giants. And it is gone. If time permits, maybe they'll be able to visit Alcatraz. My grandfather did for 17 years. Are you making that up? Get the West Coast Call Live tonight at 6.15 on 700 WLW and 700 WLW's live stream on the iHeartRadio app. Hey, hey. This the year you go to our iHeartRadio Music Festival. Tickets are on sale.